Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Man, hey, if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 139. Again, just mention again in case you came a few late. We're going to um, be in a different book today with Pastor David out, but uh, Psalm 139 is where we're going to be this morning. Let you get a chance to turn there. Psalm 139. Now, I know this may seem funny to say in church, but did you know that God loves you? And not just, not just loves you, he, he actually likes you. <laughs> I think often we, even as believers, can forget that. And I wanna get some clarity there. Like, if you're a believer in Christ, God loves you and likes you. Apart from Christ, you're doomed to hell and the wrath of God. So just to create a little bit of clarity there, right? But the reality is, even as believers who should know that God loves us and because of the cross actually likes us, it's easy to not live that way. I think we can easily go back and remember uh, what happened in Genesis 3, right? So God made everything Genesis 1 and we didn't, we didn't make it real far, right? Genesis 3, we already, humanity already had fallen into sin. Um, so it's kind of one of those like better luck next year things, right? <laughs> like we didn't make it very far. Already in sin. And, and then the rest of scripture really bears out God's plan of redemption, that's part of the, uh, the theme with the book series that we're doing, is the rest of scripture bears out the salvation that God would bring through Christ. That even though we were dead in our sin, even though we were wicked and have rebelled against the king of kings, the king of glory, in spite of that, God the son, Jesus, left heaven's throne, took on flesh and blood, Philippians says, the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and he came and he lived a perfect life that you and I can't live because it's not just that we do sin, we are sinners. That's who we are in our nature. He lived the perfect life that we can't live. He, then he died the death that we deserve because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. He died that death for us, but then because he is God the Son and he is perfect and he was the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation, it means that three days later, he rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave. Amen? And because of that, we can have a restored relationship with Christ. And because of that, we are, if we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus, not because of our works, but because of what he's done, we can now have a reconciled relationship with Christ. And while we are not perfect, we won't be perfect until heaven, even on this earth, we can experience an incredible thriving, intimate relationship with Jesus, made possible by him. And then the Psalms, this is why I have us in Psalms this morning, they help bear out what that relationship looks like. And the New Testament actually certainly affirms that relationship. I love what First Peter says, speaking of the redemption that we have in Christ, it says that angels long to look in to the things that we get to experience as believers. Isn't that crazy? Like we think it may be cool to be an angel and have like big wings. I guess you have big wings, I don't know. But like, it'd be cool to be, be real strong and go anywhere. Like, no, it says that angels long to look into the redemption that we have as believers. It's First Peter chapter one. It's this amazing relationship, this amazing reconciled relationship with our creator. Because of Jesus, God not only loves you, if you're in Christ, he not only loves you, he, he likes you. And we get to experience this relationship even now. 
And I want us to, to read through Psalm 139 and to, to kind of read, hopefully with fresh eyes, what that relationship looks like and God's intimate care, his intimate knowledge of us. Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. God, you say, you know everything about me. You, you see everything about me. Some of y'all have been married a long time. My wife and I, we're, we're still on the, like, we're just getting started. We'll be going on 10 years in 2021. Um, we'll hit 10 years. And you know what? As much as I love my wife and know her, the reality is when I'm here at work at Southcrest and she's at Beatonbow where she works, I'm not aware of when she sits down and when she stands up. <laughs> That'd actually be kind of creepy, right? <laughs> if I was but like, as much as I love her and know her, I, I'm not aware of that. But he says, that's how well God knows us. Like he knows when you sit down and when you stand up, which is kind of a fun game to play with God, right? Like up, down, up, down, up, down. He, he, he sees everything about you. He discerns your thoughts from afar. So I, as much as you may feel like you know your best friend or your spouse, whoever it may be, the reality is you don't know all of their thoughts, especially from afar. God knows what you're thinking which is scary and awesome. <laughs> he says, you discern my path, my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. So he says, God, you know everything about me, literally everything about me. Verse four, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. So similar to that thought idea, before you even say a word, God knows what you're going to say. He can finish your. We had two thoughts and sentences. Both work. Good job. That works. Yeah. He can finish your thoughts and your sentences, right? He knows you. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. At first studying this, it, it could seem like you lay your hand upon me like this judgment hand. That's, that's not what's going on here. Hem me in. It's, it's, a, it's a comforting phrase to, to hem me in to. He surrounds me behind and before me. He's got me covered. He's got me surrounded. It makes me think, uh, I guess it was about six or seven months ago, maybe longer. Uh, our, we have two-year-old twins and um, they were, at the time they shared a bedroom and their cribs were right beside each other and they still had the actual crib uh, where we had to put them in and out of it, right? Well, uh, again, there was a time, I'm sure a lot of you experienced this, a, a time came when, they figured out how to crawl out of their cribs, right? And they'd always be so proud. Dad, did I crawl out of my crib? And I'm like, you did. I don't think I'm proud of you. <laughs> like, this is not good. But I remember one time, it was about two in the morning and our daughter, Carolina Tate, crawled out of the crib and came and knocked on our door. And so I said, hello. <laughs> and uh, took her back to her room uh, to put her back in bed. And sure enough, about 10 minutes later, we hear a little on our door again from our little two-year-old girl. And at that point, I thought, you know what? It's not worth her also waking up her brother so she can get in bed with us. And so uh, I put her in bed and kind of hemmed her in, sandwiched her in between my wife and I, between Lauren and I. So it's me, Carolina Tate, and Lauren. And everything's good. Got her hemmed in. And about five, 10 minutes into it, I feel this little, little pat on my beard. And I hear this little voice that says, Dada, hold you, hold you. So I turn over and I'm like, what, what, what? 
<laughs> two in the morning, you're not happy. That, I'm like, what is it? It's cute now, but in the time, it's not cute, right? I'm like, well, what is it? And she's like, hold you. And I'm like, we're, hold, we're, like, we're right beside each other, right? We can't get any closer. So I, I put my hand on her leg or whatever, and she, she's good. Well, about 10 minutes later, I roll over and move, and then I feel this little pat on my beard again. Da-da, da-da, hold you. And again, I'm like, I, we're right here. We can't get any closer. So I put my hand on her and she calms down. I thought about eventually just like tying my hand to her so I wouldn't move, right? And get some sleep. But she wanted to know, not just that she had me, that, that I was close, but she wanted to know that I had her, right? This, this comforting fatherly hand on her. That's the idea of the text here, that you hem me in behind and before me. So God surrounded me, he, he, he's close to me and his, he lays his hand upon me. So again, it's this fatherly, comforting, reassuring, close hand that says, hey, not only do you have me, but I have you, I got you. Amen. That's the experience with God for believers. And then I love verse six, he says, such knowledge. So when I think about how, intimately God knows me, how close he is, how well he knows all of my ways, such knowledge, all of that is too wonderful for me. It, it is high. I can't attain it. So it's kind of like standing at the foothills of the Rockies. You, you just, you can't take it in, right? Or like you take a picture and you bring it back home, bring it back home and it doesn't do it justice, right? Because it's just too amazing. It's too wonderful. Or if you go to the Pacific coast and you're standing there at the edge of the Pacific ocean and you look out on the ocean, it's just too grand. It's too much to take it in. David says, when I think about God's intimate care and his intimate knowledge of me, of my life, it's too much. It's wonderful. I can't take it in. It's overwhelming. This is grand. This is amazing. This is beautiful. I can't take it all in. And he, he doesn't stop there. Verse seven, he says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? So no matter where I try to go, God, I can't get away from you. I can't hide from you. It makes me think of like playing hide and go seek with little kids, right? Some of y'all played hide and go seek with your kids or your grandkids and they hide behind like the little twig tree out front. And you're like, I don't know where they are, right? That's like what hiding from God is. Like you could try to hide and try to distance yourself or even if you were afraid that something was hiding you from God, it never does. You can't hide from God. He, he's always aware of you. And he unpacks the rest of that thought or that thought in verses eight through 12. He says, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, in the depths, that's the, the place of the dead, the forgotten. If I make my bed in Sheol, the depths of the earth, you're there. So no matter how high I go, I could get on a rocket ship and travel to Mars, get off, go to plant that American flag. And you know what? God's already there. <laughs> I could go to the depths of the earth. He's already there. He's already met me. Verse nine, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, in the middle of nowhere, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God, no matter where I go, no matter how far I travel, you're always there. And again, he's, he's not terrified of it. I mean, it is terrifying, but it's amazing. So God, no matter where I'm at, you're there. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness, it's not dark to you. 
The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So even if I'm in a situation where it feels like this is so dark, I'm in such a deep pit. There's no way God can see me. There's no way God can know where I am. He says, even there, you see me, you know that I'm there because for dark, the end of verse 12, for darkness is as light with you. So even in the darkest place, God still sees me because he's so bright, he's so full of hope that even the darkness is light to him. There's no situation, there's no darkness that can keep you from your heavenly father's careful eye and provision and intimate watch. You can't get away from God. And then it kind of switches from just talking about even like that he's with me, he knows me to the fact that he... He made, he knows you so well because he made you. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Contrary to what your parents may have told you or the people who are raising you told you or or raised you or contrary to what media certainly tells you, you are not an accident. God carefully crafted you and made you not just to make you, but he made you with a purpose, not to just make you and like touch it down and see you later, but he made you with a purpose. Amen. Amen. And it's, it says it's wonderful. I, um, I've had a couple opportunities to go to India and work with some pastors there. And I bought this elephant when I was over there. Um, I mean, I would love for you. You're welcome to see it after the service. It's beautiful. It's uh, it's actually pretty heavy. Jerry Newman picked up earlier and he was like, man, it's like, it's pretty solid. It really is. Um, amazing detail. But unfortunately, one time I was actually bringing it up here um, a couple years ago to, to share it with a, a different type of illustration with the college group. And in the process, uh, broke off one of the little tusks on the elephant. So it's, it's, it's broken. But here's the reality. Just because it's broken, it doesn't mean that it wasn't made beautifully, right? Like this thing is... It's beautiful. I don't know if you can see it on the screen very well, but it's, it's incredibly beautiful. And I would say that the, the man who crafted this thing, it say it took him, it was 13 or 15 days, I can't remember. 13, 15 days solely focused on this one uh, piece of art. I would say he had a purpose with it, right? Like he wanted to bring some joy or whatever it may be. He, there was a purpose for this. The reality is all of us are broken, All of us are broken because of our sin, because of the sin of another, or just from the simple fact of living in a broken, sin-stained, messed up, fallen world. But just because you're broken does not mean that your heavenly father did not do an incredible, wonderful job when he created you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And your creator, while you are broken, he still has a purpose for your life. It's wonderful. I love verse 16 says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. So it's amazing. Even before your mom knew she was pregnant, God knew you were coming. (laughs) He saw you. In your book were written every one of them, 
The days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. Oh, sorry. Wow, I was... <laughs> I almost asked where my Bible book was. I'm actually reading from it right here. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what happened in my brain there. That was, that was weird. Sorry. <laughs> that was so weird. Anyways. I'm gonna read that again so I can get back on task. Sorry. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and your book were written. Every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. I think that, could, that passage could confuse some people. It's very clearly saying, before you were even born, God wrote your story. He, he, he knows your story. So just pretend, this is like, maybe that's why I was confused a second ago. Pretend this is your, your story. This is your, and it's, I'm holding the Bible. Just pretend for a second. This is your story, your book. God wrote it before you were even born. For some of you, that, that may, if you're not careful, it could fill you with a sense of helplessness or even, or even of hatred of, this is my story. But the reality is it should fill you with hope because the God of the universe, before you're even born, knew your story. So here's the reality. God is not surprised by your story. God didn't wake up to 2020 and go, oh man, this is actually a bad year. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> No, he's well aware of your story. Your story is not just tucked away on some back dusty shelf of the library. No, Psalm 139 tells us that God is well acquainted with your story because that gummit, he wrote your story. He knows you and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. It should not fill you with hate or helplessness. It should fill you with hope that God wrote your story. Then verse 17, he says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I, I wake and I'm still with you. So the picture here is, is God, there's so many thoughts of your thoughts about me. Again, the context clearly shows he's saying, when I think about not just who you are, God, which obviously we, there are more uh, thoughts about God, presented in scripture than the sand on the sea. But he says, even your thoughts towards me, which is what Psalm 139 is laying out, even your thoughts toward me, God, they're, they're wonderful, they're precious to me. And there's more than the sand on the sea, uh, more than the sand. The end of verse 18, if I, I wake, I'm still with you. The picture here is that if I wanted to try to count all of God's thoughts, thinking about who he is, but also context of Psalm 139, not just who he is, but also what he knows of me, his relationship towards me. He says, if I were to count all those thoughts, those amazing, precious thoughts, like counting the sand on the sea. So I just dip my finger, just touch the sand and you, know, you want to count them real quick? <laughs> well, we, could, we could be here a while. <laughs> Just from, just, just from touching the sand. So the, the idea of, of the end of that verse, I wake and I'm still with you, is that, God, there's so many thoughts. I, I spend time counting and, and there's so many, even though they're amazing, there's so many, it becomes overwhelming and I fall asleep. But even when I awake, I could go right back to counting and I haven't even made a dent in the mountain of your amazing thoughts. <laughs> Remember, God says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. So many, it's amazing. I love what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said about that thought. Sorry. Speaking of the psalmist of David, he says, 
He is not alarmed at the fact that God knows all about him. On the contrary, he is comforted and even feels himself to be enriched as with a basket of precious jewels. That God should think upon him is the believer's treasure and pleasure. When we remember that God thought upon us from old eternity, continues to think upon us every moment and will think of when time shall be no more, we may well exclaim, how great is the sum as the psalmist. Thoughts such as are natural to the creator, the preserver, the redeemer, the father, the friend are evermore flowing from the heart of the Lord. Thoughts of our pardon, renewal, upholding, supplying, educating, perfecting. It should fill us with adoring wonder and reverent surprise that the infinite mind of God should turn so many thoughts toward us who are so insignificant and so unworthy. I think it's worth pointing out that the vast majority of the Psalms are about the glory and the splendor of God. Psalm 139 seems to to say in light of that, in light of the glory and the majesty of God, I'm blown away by the fact that he knows me. He is close to me, cares for me, loves me, in in spite of the fact that he's the king of glory. It says, I'm overwhelmed. It's precious to me to think about these things. Now, here's, we're gonna enter a part of the passage where I'm gonna need your help, all right? I need you to read on your own. You can read it quietly. I need you to read verses 19 through 24, excuse me, 19 through 22, 19 through 22, and help me figure out what's going on here. you get it ready yet? Does David suddenly seem like a psychopath? <laughs> he's going along, God, you're so good. You're so wonderful. All of a sudden he's like, God, that you would slay the wicked. It's like, whoa, whoa. Like a little Jekyll and Hyde here, right? Do y'all see that? Like what in the world is going on? I mean, let me tell you this. And hopefully you probably already know this. Often when we're reading scripture, the thing that seems most odd or even misplaced, is often the key to understanding the full context of what's going on. I don't mean this like higher knowledge, it's not Gnosticism. Like it's, it's, we too often ignore, like I don't know how many times I've been reading Psalm 139 and get to verse 19 through 22 and I'm like, that's weird and just kind of flip, right? But often in scripture, the thing that doesn't make sense to us is a key to understanding what's going on. It's, it's the puzzle piece that if we throw it away, we're gonna miss the majesty of, of the whole puzzle. So what's going on here? I'm gonna read it out loud here. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. Now he's speaking back to God. They speak against you, God, with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. So Remember who wrote this Psalm? David, right? 
And David is, or was, I should say, pretty often on the run, especially early in his, once he was anointed as king, pretty often on the run from people trying to do him harm. And some of those people, evil, who not only wanted to do David harm, but wanted to do the name of God harm, the the honor, the glory of God harm. And so David is saying, God, would you, in this, in verses 19 to 22, God, would you slay them? Would you take care of them? Would you get these fools away from me that are chasing me, trying to do me harm and trying to dishonor you? That's why he says in verse 20, they speak against you with malicious intent. So they're speaking evil of God with intent to harm David, to hurt David. He says, gosh, Lord, I hate them. Would you wipe them out? David is not mincing words here, right? Now, I guess we're trying to understand the whole context here and even how how we can relate to this. Understandable that probably, I'm gonna guess that in this room this morning, probably safe to assume that you don't have like a band of evil, bloodthirsty men chasing after you like to kill you. If so, let us know so we can have a heads up, all right? But, um, but the reality is if you are a child of God, if you are a believer, the enemy, Satan and his demons do seek to destroy you. They, their goal is to steal, kill, and destroy is what our savior said. They're out to get you. And absolutely, they do speak evil against God with malicious intent. The enemy likes to whisper to us, doesn't he? Are you sure? Are you sure God is faithful? Are you sure God is good? Are you sure that God sees you? Are you sure that God has a plan for you? He likes to whisper those things. So there's, there's, a, there's a similarity there. But still, it's hard to reconcile like 139, what's been going on, and then 19 through 22. And then just to, to muddy the water more for you, we're not done yet, look at verse 23. Then he switches gears again. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So David ends the psalm the way it began, by by focusing on this intimacy with God. So saying, God, please know me, know my heart, see if there be any grievous way in me, grievous way, excuse me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So he's saying, Lord, I don't wanna lose the intimacy with you. I wanna know your nearness. So if there's any sin in my life that is hindering me, distracting me from walking with you, from leading me in the way everlasting, God, would you remove that sin? Would you pull that away from me? So again, he's kind of going back to that, that intimate focus with God, that relationship with God. So, so what is going on here? What is going on with verse, verses 19 through 22? How, how does that puzzle piece fit? I think it's actually really cool. I think it helps us see the beauty of Psalm 139 at a, at a greater level. Seems very plain to me when you look at, when you keep verses 19 through 22 and don't ignore them, that David wrote Psalm 139 while being chased by the enemy while being surrounded by the enemy. That's why I saying, God, would you get rid of these? Would you remove them? That's the context. Not while he's sitting at home, sipping his coffee, enjoying the safe habitat. No, even in the storm, even in the difficulty, he'd write Psalm 139. So, so what is going on? What's the point here? Go back real quick with me to verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. Do you see what David's doing here? Here's the full picture of what he's doing. 
He's being chased by the enemy. He's in difficulty. And he is actively choosing, verses 17 through 18, to focus on God's thoughts, to focus on God's intimate care for him, i.e. verses one through 16. That's what he was laying out, right? Look at all of God's his intimate knowledge of me, how he cares for me, how he knows everything about me because he's so good, he's so glorious. Here's what was going on. David was finding hope. He was finding hope from the enemy by focusing on God's care for him. So let me phrase it this way. Where can you find hope when the enemy seeks to harm you? By focusing, by remembering, by counting God's intimate care and God's intimate knowledge of you. You can find hope when the enemy seeks to harm you by recounting, by remembering God's intimate knowledge of and intimate care for you. Amen? Amen. That he sees you, he knows you. Even in the storm, I'm gonna choose to focus on what God says of me. Remember who God is, what he says of himself. Now, if you'll bear with me just for a second, this may seem random, but I promise it's not too random. I've got this... uh, box here that um, when I first started the ministry, my dad said, hey, whenever uh, folks uh, write you a card or something or a little encouraging letter, you should keep it. But he said that the enemy, uh, and even just your own flesh, you're gonna get discouraged sometimes. You're gonna get distracted. You're gonna forget who you are. You're gonna forget what God's called you to. And the words of God's people can be encouraging to you. And so uh, when I was a middle school pastor, this is, I love this is an ammo box. When I was a middle school pastor, I kept my Nerf guns in here to shoot the middle schoolers with. Very spiritual, very godly, very mature. Uh, and then when I grew up a little bit, I'm kidding. I, uh, I started keeping uh, these cards in here. It was funny, I didn't think about it until I guess it was about back in March. I thought it was interesting that I had put these cards in an ammo box. And so what's cool is I um, occasionally, when I'm discouraged, uh, for sure when we were doing uh, church only online back in March and April for a little bit. I went to these pretty often because it, it was just weird talking to a camera. Hello, camera. <laughs> it's just odd. Um, so I would go to these a lot. And it was cool to hear the different things of, hey, God's word uh, was spoken clearly through you and it really encouraged me. God's, God's moving. Or may I see, I'm uh, getting a better glimpse of God and his glory as I study God's word. Thanks for, me encouraging, thanks for encouraging me to study scripture, whatever it may be been super helpful. And honestly, it's been cool to fight and push back the enemy with the words of God's people. Now, some of you, you're sitting there and you're like, okay, that's cool, Brandon, but um, I don't have an ammo box. (laughs) I don't have a box full of some encouraging cards and whatnot. And that's fair. But the reality is, if you are a child of God, as a believer, you, you do have an ammo box And in that ammo box is the word of God. (laughs) You can find hope when the enemy seeks to harm you by recounting God's thoughts of you, by recounting, by remembering who God is. And how do you do that? You get into the word. You go to scripture to remember who you are and who God is, what he says about himself and what he says about you. Not what your brain thinks about God and not what you think about yourself or what someone else says, but what God says matters, amen? So if I could sum up all of one, some th- Psalm 139 to one little idea, it's this. You fight the whispers with the word. Amen. You fight the whispers with the word. You dig into scripture 
Remember God's intimate care, his intimate knowledge of you, even though he is the king of glory, the God of all creation. And that brings you hope, even when the enemy feels close. Fight the whispers with the word. So here's how I want us to, to respond this morning, what I think the call to respond is. If you're a believer, I think it's to choose this morning to recount God's goodness, like the psalmist says in Psalm 139, to remember his precious thoughts towards you. The fact that he left heaven's throne, God himself, to come and rescue you, to die a sinner's death on a cross. To, to take maybe some time this morning or this afternoon, to I would encourage you to, to journal or to write out, maybe even on your phone if you need to, the ways you've seen God's goodness and faithfulness and glory in your life. To recount. Maybe part of you responding as a believer is to choose to get into God's word. You can't fight the whispers with the word if you don't open it, amen? You gotta dig in. So maybe it's to choose to, hey, going forward, I'm gonna dig into scripture. I'm gonna fight the whispers with the word. Maybe if you lead your family, maybe you need to encourage your family to do that. The last I would say, some of you this morning, you're sitting here and you realize, as we read the Psalms, uh, the words of Psalm 139, you realize, yeah, I don't know Jesus like that. Like I don't, when it talks about God's intimate care and how he knows me, I don't have that kind of relationship with God. I'm gonna trust that this morning, God is knocking on some of your hearts and, and drawing you into a relationship with him, showing you that yes, you are, are broken, that you are sinful and in need of a savior. And that Jesus is the provision of that. That he came to be the sacrifice for your sins so you can come into a relationship with him. This morning, the call is simple. It's to to repent, turn from your sin, to realize you're broken in need of a savior and turn to Jesus. As Ephesians says, to place your faith and trust in him. So not relying on your works. Oh God, I, I can be a good person. But placing your faith and trust in Christ. Believing that he is God the son, came to save you and confess him as Lord. Jesus, I I recognize who you are and I want you, I submit to you as King and Lord of my life. If you do that this morning, scripture says that as you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. There's no doubt, there's no like, well, he might save you if he's in a good mood. No, he will save you, amen? If you call upon him. So this morning, I'm I'm gonna pray for us here in just a moment. As we pray, I would love for you to, to pray and to commit to whatever God is leading you to. Maybe it's to, even I haven't mentioned this, maybe it's to join the church or be baptized, whatever it may be. I'm gonna encourage you to pray and talk with the Lord about that. And then after um, the service, they're gonna come here in a moment as I pray, but after the service, there'll be some men down front that would love to pray with you, talk with you, answer any questions you may have about what it means to follow Jesus and to know him. So I'm gonna pray for us. Let's respond as I pray. Father, we're grateful that you love us, that you know us in spite of our brokenness, that you, the king of glory, the king of the universe, you see us. You're acquainted with our ways. Or that we can fight the lies and the words of the enemy with your truth. That you give us hope even when the enemy seeks to harm us. Lord, I pray for those that you are drawing to yourself this morning, God, that they will respond boldly, that after the service, they would come and talk with one of these men, even just to maybe share the good news of salvation. God, we love you. We're grateful for how you speak to us. It's in your powerful name that we pray, amen. 
thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.